Money Roots is made possible by the support of our sponsor, Rooted Planning Group. Are you ready to take control of your financial future? Look no further than Rooted Planning Group, your trusted partner in financial well-being. At www.rootedpg.com, you'll discover a wealth of resources and expertise to help you thrive financially. Rooted Planning Group specializes in personalized financial planning, investment management, and retirement strategies. They understand that every financial journey is unique, and they're here to guide you every step of the way. With a team of experienced advisors, Rooted Planning Group is committed to helping you cultivate a secure and prosperous future. Visit www.rootedpg.com today to learn more about how Rooted Planning Group can help you grow your money roots. Howdy, friends. Amy Irvine here. When this episode was recorded with Jill McNeil, I had an idea in mind. I wanted to spend the month of June talking about aging and some of the concerns around aging. So Jill was my first in the series this month. We are going to be talking about long-term care planning and long-term care insurance. Jill happens to be a long-term employee of a company that I've used for several years called LLIS. Since I'm a non-commissioned insurance consultant, meaning I can't write a policy, I can only consult on a policy, I often use LLIS for some of the services that we need for our clients around insurance. So you'll hear Jill and I talk a little bit about those products and you'll also hear us talk about the things that can go wrong and why, if we can transfer the risk, it's so important. Sit on back, sip your favorite glass of wine, and we hope you enjoy the show. You are listening to Wine and Dime, the podcast that combines two passions, wine and personal finance, with your host, Amy Irvine. Amy is a certified financial planner and owner of Rooted Planning Group and author of Uncork Your Finances. You can learn more about Amy by heading over to the website, www.rootedpg.com. And now, on to the show. Take it away, Amy. Welcome to this edition of Wine and Dine with Amy Irvine. Today's guest is Jill McNeil. Will and I met at a conference that I attended. Actually, I think I've been there three times. She is with LLL, LLIS, we used to call them low-load insurance services, but now it's just simply LLIS. And they are the advisor's insurance advisor. So when we need somebody to turn to, we go to them and get information. And I am very excited to talk about today's topic with Jill. So thank you for being on the show. Thank you, Amy. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. If you have uh, listened to the show at all, we open each episode with a reminder that our lives are very similar to vineyards. Um, I think I can tie just about anything back to a vineyard personally. <laughs> um, I think it's because I love it. So I think vineyards bring me a lot of serenity being in one, but I also love to drink what they produce. So, <laughs> and we have a lot of different, you know, our lives are very much like a vineyards and different vineyards and how they're planted. So, um, in this conversation, you'll notice that I kind of do that. I bring it back to that quite a bit. But before we even get into that, I'd love to know what's your favorite wine? Um, I, a Chardonnay. I'm a white wine drinker and probably Chardonnay would be my, my most favorite. That's my go-to wine, I would say. Do you have a favorite vineyard that you get your Chardonnay from? No, um, 
Back home where I'm from in uh, Nova Scotia, we have the last several years, they've developed a lot of vineyards there. So when I'm home, I always get a couple bottles of wine from there. But I'm pretty easy going. I can just go to my local grocery store and, and see what's, what's available, what's on sale or what looks good. <laughs> and here in Florida, we're lucky enough to have wine right in the grocery store. Unlike New York, you can't get it in a grocery store. So, <laughs> Right. Yeah, I never, I'm not, yeah. I'm used to being able to just get it down the aisle. <laughs> I know there's a couple. I'm always looking at the public flyer and seeing what's on sale. <laughs> or Trader Joe's is even cheaper. Trader Joe's. Yeah, I forget about Trader Joe's. I always forget that place. I don't know why, but... <laughs> Um, so, like wines, there's various ages, right? So, beginning the development and the aging process. So, I'd like to know more about Jill herself before we dig into some of the um, concepts and ideas that you're now an expert at. Um, where and you mentioned already, you were from Nova Scotia, but what? What? What's the from Nova Scotia to Tampa, Florida connection? Oh, okay. Uh, yes, I grew up in Nova Scotia, so my family's all still in Nova Scotia. But uh, in college, I wanted to play golf, so I came to Tampa on a golf scholarship to the University of South Florida and um, graduated. And when I was celebrating graduation, I met my husband. And so I went home for about 10 months and then came back here to Florida. And we've been married 32 years now. And Congratulations. Oh, thank you. 32 years. So you, you have any children? We do. We have two daughters. Uh, our oldest daughter, Carrie, is 28, and Caitlin is our youngest, and she's 26. And they both are still in Florida. Wow. So they're true Floridians. Do you know how rare that is? Well, yeah, they are native. Yes. Born here and raised here. <laughs> My husband and I, when we go out to restaurants, we'll often ask our servers. Uh, we, we try to do a guessing game. And we often ask our servers ultimately like where they're from. And we try to guess with based on their accent or based on, you know, however they're talking, like the region of the U.S. that they're from. And we've gotten pretty good at it, actually. <laughs> but they're not there, I imagine. The, uh, the New York accent or the Southern accent are pretty easy. But the other ones are Yeah. 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 It's rare that it's ever Florida. <laughs> So when you said you met your husband and you decided to stay here, uh, you've worked for LLIS for quite a few years. What kind of attracted you? I guess what's the what's the I graduated from college to where you are right now? Yeah, well, I, I met my husband. I had graduated from USF with a uh, business degree in marketing, and I uh, had to wait till we were married, and I was um, al legally allowed to work in the U.S. So then. When we were married and we we're back here, uh, while I was interviewing, I was working part time for a temporary company, a temp company, and one of my first jobs was working for what was then Low Load Insurance Services. So I temped for them, and then they asked me to come with them full time. And actually, back then they were called Fee for Service. So that was 35 years ago. So I started for them. And um, then when I had my kids, I tried to come back to work part-time when, when my daughters were very young, but then realized, no, that wasn't going to work. So I took about three or four years off and then um, 
the Mowers, Judith and Keith Mauer asked me to come back and work for them part-time because they were starting a company called um, Wholesale Insurance Network. So what they were doing was marketing insurance directly to the public and people would call in and get insurance quotes. So they were open in the evenings till nine o'clock and Saturday mornings. So my kids were little, so I'd wait for my husband to come home at five o'clock and I would come in and work from six to nine, two nights a week and Saturday mornings. So it was perfect. I could get a few hours of work in and my husband was home with the kids. So then eventually uh, they sold that company to uh, General Electric and then the Mauer started the, the new company called Lolo'd and I came back again working with them part-time while my kids were in school. I'd work from nine o'clock to two o'clock, three days a week. And then when my youngest daughter got into high school, they're like, please come full-time. And I'm like, well, I can come full-time, but I need one day off a week. So they, this is the only, the only work I've ever done. I've always worked for them out with one form So it's been about 35 years. I think what's amazing about that story is um, you mentioned that you were from Nova Scotia, which I got, but the comment that you made about legally able to work when you first got, like you had to get married before you were legally able to work. Right, right. So when, um, after college, I was down here playing professional golf. So I was on the golf tour and didn't make a whole lot of money. So I didn't really have to worry about it too much about it, but it was legal. Um, and then when we got married, uh, we were married in Canada and went through all the, the official paperwork. So I am a legal alien. <laughs> um, I was able to work here. So that's why I started my career. Wow. I mean, to be at one company that long, too, is really unusual in today's world. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I've been so blessed. I mean, so fortunate to be able to work for the Bowers and with their different companies. I mean, family-owned business. They care about us. I mean, they care about your family, and it, it it's been a great a bit, great career for me. I, if you had asked me thirty four years ago, I was going to be if I was going to insurance industry, I would no. never thought I'd get into insurance, but I enjoyed it. Do you because you, you know this career in general, um, financial services has been labeled as a rough profession to work in for women especially the flexibility that's needed. And I heard you saying that you had quite a bit of flexibility uh, to, to a certain extent, but quite a bit of flexibility to be able to work around raising your daughters working there. Um, is that unusual, do you think? Or was that because it was a family-run business? I think it's unusual. Um, the fortunate part was it was a small company, so they could do what they, you know, the owners... Uh, could do what they wanted. I think if you look at the other bigger companies or corporate companies, you don't have that flexibility. At least you certainly didn't 30 years ago. I mean, 30 years ago, nobody worked from home. We didn't have that flexibility. Yeah. Um, Judith Mauer is the starting um, She knew how important it was to you know work around the family, and she knew that um, if employees were happy, then the you know everything works better. That's a key statement right there. If employees are happy, everything works better. work. <laughs> yeah, and as I said, Judith was wonderful. And you're focusing right now with LRS. Your primary focus is to help us, meaning the planners of the world, 
with long-term care insurance, variable life and annuities, and term insurance that's thrown in there as well. Um, what what has sort of made you interested in pursuing those areas of expertise? Well, the term just came as natural. That was the base of our company. So pretty much all of us work with term. It's pretty straightforward. But then about 10, 12 years ago, Mark Maurer, who, who uh, is the president of our company now, asked me if I wanted to be, become the long-term care quote specialist. Uh, up until that point, I didn't know much about it. So yes, I, I said, sure, I, I'll, I'll be happy to give it a try. And it turns out that it fit into sort of my, where I was in my life at that time. Uh, my dad was ill. He'd been diagnosed with leukemia. So I saw what he was going through and what my mom was going through being his caregiver. And my, my husband's mother was going through the same thing. She was in her mid to late 80s and uh, she was widowed and uh, she was having some dementia. So I saw what his family was going through to take care of her. So when I started working with long-term care insurance and saw the need out there to plan for the future and what can happen in um, later years of our lives, uh, we really became long-term care became interesting to me and sort of hit home. So when you're working with us and we're trying to come up with solutions, you actually know what happens when people haven't planned for care. And um, you've seen it. And, you know, when when we're talking, I actually use, and, and she spoke two years ago, I think, at the LLI conference, LIS conference, um, Carolyn McClanahan's wealth care system. And um, so we do that with our clients. And, um, you know, one of the things that we come across often is that of course, nobody wants to talk about care planning, right? It's not, it's not something that it's like life, you know, and death. They don't really want to talk about it. But if we had the ability to put a plan in place when the time comes or if the time comes, the stress is relieved a little bit because the unknown has sort of been addressed, right? Like if this ever happens... This is what we're going to do. So when you're talking, when you spoke at um, the 2019 LLIS conference, you were talking about, you were educating us about things that we should be thinking about when we're doing care planning. Um, Talk a little bit, if you don't mind, about that. Okay. Yeah. And, And to your point, if you've addressed it and then it does happen, you feel a lot more comfortable because you have a plan in place. And even if after working with your clients and they decide not to purchase a policy, that means they've made the decision to self-insure. So they've looked at the consequences and, and what can happen to their assets and, and their estate. So they know, you know that they're okay. They're, they're ready for this. Um, so when we start working with clients, we look at cost of care in their area to help them understand how much it could be out of pocket if they need care. Um, certain areas of the country, care is very expensive. Um, New England area, uh, cost of nursing homes is very expensive, up to you know three or four hundred dollars a day. 
Um, if your clients are in the Midwest, um, Texas is very reasonable. It's under $200 a day. Um, you know, if you're out in California, it's very high. Alaska is outrageous. So we start by looking at cost of care and see, you know, could they budget it if they needed two or three years of care? And what if it's a couple, what if they both needed care? You know, look at the expense on that. Look at, do they have any family members nearby? Um, nowadays, a lot of times the children have grown up and moved away. So when mom and dad need help, there's nobody nearby to take care of them. So that's thing to take into consideration. Um, your couples that do, do not have any children then um, or any family nearby, they're on their own when they need care. And um, husband and wife, what usually happens is the husband needs care first, wife takes care of him, he passes away, and then there's nobody there for her. So we, I think a lot of times uh, to get the clients looking at it or considering it is help them understand what can happen and what the consequences are. Some people, there's this, um, with long, this, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in the news about the expensive cost of long-term care insurance. And so I know one of the things that you talked about was using some hybrid products as well as, um, you know, running the numbers to see what other options are where there's return premiums and those kinds of things so that people don't feel like, well, if I didn't use it, I didn't lose it. The one thing that I remind people is that insurance is a transfer of risk. That is the purpose of it, right? <laughs> um, we don't expect a return of premium on our homeowner's insurance. We don't expect a return of premium on our auto insurance. We hope to never use either of them, but that's what they're there for. Their insurance, you know, purposes to transfer risk. But when the price tag is a four or $5,000 or seven or eight or $9,000 policy, because it's a bigger part of their budget, there is this fear that if I don't use it, like I quote unquote wasted this money. What do you say to that? Like, how do you explain that to people or, or coach us to work with people on that? <laughs> uh, well, nowadays there, as you said, there are choices. So originally we just had what I call traditional long-term care policies. So it's straight long-term care. You pay the premium if you need the coverage, the policy provides it for you. If you've passed away and never needed anything, then you don't get anything back from it. Nowadays, there's what we call hybrid policies or combination policies. So one is a hybrid life insurance policy with a long-term care rider. So it's a permanent life insurance policy with a long-term care rider. So um, if you receive benefits during your lifetime, the death benefit is reduced dollar for dollar. But even after the death benefit's been used, you can still receive long-term care benefits because at that point, you're using the insurance company's money. And there's hybrid life, I'm sorry, hybrid annuities, which is a fixed deferred annuity with a long-term care ride. So the annuity is reduced dollar for dollar. These two hybrid policies are great for those clients that say, I don't want to buy it. What if I never use it? I've, I've wasted all this money. So with these hybrid policies, they're guaranteed they're going to get something for the money, either the death benefit or the long-term care benefit. 
They're getting guaranteed level premiums. Premiums can't be raised on the hybrid policies. And they're policy, so they're going to get something for the money um, versus the traditional long-term care. The premiums on traditional long-term care are not guaranteed. They're projected to remain level with most of the policies, but the insurance company can go to the state and ask for a rate increase for a group of policyholders. And if the rate increase is approved, everybody that has that policy series has a rate increase. But the difference is the hybrid policies, you're going to pay a lot more money for them versus traditional long-term care. You're paying a lot more money to get those guarantees on the hybrids. Yeah, I know in the state of New York, um, we've seen some really large increases in the long-term care policies, especially um, in uh, many, many of our clients in our practice are, um, they, they at one point in time could get long-term care insurance through their employer, but now that's not a benefit that's offered any longer. Um, and they've seen some pretty significant increases, but yet when I've done the math, if they were written long enough ago, it still makes sense. You know, when I, when I show them what the benefit is going to be, it still makes sense to continue paying that premium and carrying it, especially from the older ones. Yeah, I, I do um, policy reviews all the time. I, I get clients, advisors coming to me all the time, and, and the majority of the time they're upset because they've had a rate increase. But when I look at it and show them what a new policy would be today, they're, they're astounded at how well, how good their old policy looks. Because the new policy today, if they can even get the benefits that they have on their old policy, it's going to be thousands more than what they're currently paying. So when I do that, hopefully it makes them feel good that they were smart enough to put that coverage in force years ago. Even though it's not a rate increase, it's still much better than getting something today. And they have the peace of mind that knowing that if they had have needed coverage over the, those years, they would have had that policy in place. So... For your clients, where the main goal is is to have the best long-term care coverage for the money, I think the traditional long-term care is still the best bang for your buck. Um, compared to the hybrids, the hybrids may cost you $20,000 a year versus seven or 6000 for a traditional long-term care. I mean, the hybrid, you get all those guarantees, but you're also tying up a lot more money every year versus the traditional long-term care. Yeah. When we do the analysis on that, we will show people taking that $20,000 out of cash flow every single year. And the fact that they're not getting, you know, gross on that money, that it's, you know, you're basically just bucketing the money over in a different bucket and you're not getting any growth on that money. And then weighing, you know, that is part of the factor. And in some cases, it still comes down to, you know what, though, I know that if I'm lucky enough not to have to use it, that somebody in my family does. And that's okay too. They just, it, every recommendation that we make has a pro and a con to it. And as long as you go into it and you don't come back at a later date and say, I wish you had told me this about then we're all good, right? <laughs> you let them know what their options are. And that's what I feel my job is to, to present the options to them and the pros and cons of each option and let them make the decision. Um, the clients that have a uh, existing life insurance policy with some cash value, 
They can do a 1035 exchange into these hybrid policies. And I think that's a great option because they may have that life insurance policy that they bought 15, 20 years ago, and now they don't need as large a death benefit. We can roll it into this hybrid and get them two products in one. So I think the hybrids are great use for that. I love that analogy. Two fives for, for one. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's uh, what do we call it? Double duty on your, on your dollars. <laughs> so um, thank you so much for sharing a lot of that. I really appreciate it. The one thing that I love would love for clients to know about working with you folks is that because I'm only an insurance consultant. And what that means is that I can't actually write a policy. Um, in the state of New York, I have to have my consultant license to give advice about insurance. Um, Florida is the same way. And there are a few other states that are like that too. And so just because I have the consultant license, that doesn't mean that I can write the policy. So I can work with folks like you and go get that unbiased you know, recommendation, information, um, and you guys are the ones that are actually writing it, but you work very collaboratively. Do you, um, do you know by any chance why when the Mowers decided to set this company up this way, what the rationale was behind it? Well, I know that you loved working with the financial planners. Um, well, well, let me back up a little bit. Originally, when they started their first company called Me for Service, the idea was to offer a life insurance policy that had no commission built into it. So what it was is the agent or the financial advisor at that time would receive a one-time fee from the client. So all the money that the insured put into the policy went towards their cash value. There was no commission. So that's how the advisors started working with financial planners around the company country because financial planners like that idea. So then um, when Judith, they sold that company to GE, and then when Judith retired, she thought, she thought, she thought she'd want to retire. She retired all of six months and realized that she missed working with the financial advisors around the country. So that's why she started LLIS or Low Load at that time because she liked working with advisors and she knew that the advisors around the country didn't want to have to bother to worry about having their uh, insurance licenses, but they knew that insurance was an important part of their clients' plans. And, but again, didn't want to have to be involved in uh, deciding what policies are the best for their clients, what products are out there. So we provide that service for you financial advisors so that you don't have to spend your time um, in your CE for your life insurance license or, or knowing what the different products are. Well, to be quite honest, it's very challenging to keep up with all the regulations in the various states. So very few financial planners actually have just one state that they work with clients in. And... Well, you know, I'm so lucky to be in one of the hardest cities in New York as well. Um, <laughs> it's so tough on everything. And so trying to keep up with the rules and regulations when, you know, when, because I kind of consider myself sort of the, the orchestrator or, you know, the, 
if you want to go back to the vineyard, I'm sort of the vineyard manager, right? I'm looking down from, um, from the tasting room onto the vineyard. And yes, I get my hands dirty from time to time by walking out to the vineyard and actually, you know, feeling of the earth and, and tasting of the grapes and all that sort of stuff. But for the most part, I'm sort of directing, you know, the things that need to be done. And it would be impossible for me to keep up with all of the state regulations uh, around insurance because every state regulates insurance. It's not like a, and for the people that are listening, it's not like, you know, the SEC where the Security Exchange Commission where I have a set of rules that I have to follow. <laughs> when you're insurance licensed, you have every state in, that you're licensed and the rules that you have to follow. So that makes it a lot easier when we can partner with folks like you that that's your primary focus. That's what you do and you have to keep up with the regulations. Exactly. Yes. And we take that worry away from you. That's what we do. We are licensed in every state. Uh, Mark Maurer is um, licensed and certified in every state um, and with the different products that we have to list. So years ago, it was very difficult because every state and every company had their own application. So when we were doing paper apps, we had one room that was just dedicated to all the different applications, the different forms for every state and every company. So. Yeah, it's gotten a lot easier now that it's all electronic. But again, that was another reason we, uh, Judith, opened the doors to help uh, financial advisors not have to worry about that. Well, we certainly appreciate that. <laughs> it makes our lives easier. We can focus. So we're, yeah, I was gonna, sorry. I was going to say we're the ones crushing the grapes for yeah. them. We're, we're we're the ones dead and down and dirty. And and you know it makes our lives easier in the sense that we can focus on helping the clients through the various aspects of their life, not, you know, not um, having to keep all of the information up in our head or the research. We're able to call somebody who knows about it and get the answer much quicker than if we had to research it. So it makes us better planners as well. Good. And that's, that kind of leads me to another point I just want to make. In our office, we have uh, specialists in the different areas. So as you mentioned, I'm the long-term care coach specialist. We have Kathy and Brian who are the disability specialists, Jerry's the annuity. So versus the agent down the street that tries to handle all those different products himself, it is hard to keep up with all the changes in the different um, industry, you know, to keep up with what's going on with long-term care, what's going on with it's really challenging. So again, that's what the, we, we have to offer is the individualized um, cold specialist. Right. I know I've done some work with Kathy actually, because she does um, some group disability insurance. And so, you know, I've done some work with her, uh, with our own company, with trying to come up with some solutions for us. So, you know, again, that's that she has that specialty that when we're dealing with small businesses, well, what can we do for them? Because often, you know, they, they can put dollars to work that are somewhat, you know, meaningful to your employees, especially for an employee that can't get life insurance, you know, can't, they just underwriting um, is, is prohibiting them. If you can offer a life, even if it's a $25,000 life insurance policy, that's something that they wouldn't be able to get otherwise. So thinking about your employee and your employee groups, 
Um, I know Kathy has been someone and Jerry, I've worked with a ton on term insurance. He and I have worked together quite a bit on different term insurance policies. So, um, I think Brian's probably the only one that I haven't done much work with. <laughs> Brian's, Brian's probably been here three years, but um, if you, Brian does, as I said, disability, but if you'd already started working with Kathy on disability, you already have that relationship. But uh, Brian's great too. So um, digging into your personal life just a little bit, because we like to know the, we like to know the core of the grape also. Um, <laughs> and, and anything here that you don't feel comfortable with, you could always tell me. And I always say that, um, you know, everybody's journey, everybody's, everybody's experiences in life is, is again, like that vineyard, right? So why is a Pinot Noir great the way it is in one region versus the way it is in another region? It's because it floats in the air. You know, when we read the back, even like a Chardonnay, right? You, you read a, the back of a Chardonnay, and it'll say barrel aged or uh, sorry, oak barrel aged or um, steel barrel aged, and the flavors are extremely different. One is generally, one is what I would call buttery. So, when we talk about like what's in the air, what's influenced you in your life, uh, I know you said you came from Nova Scotia, but as a kid, were you influenced? To go in in the direction that you've gone by anything that you were exposed to? Not well. My my mom and my dad were very influential in my lives. I mean, I grew up in a, a great household. Uh, my dad was a uh, he had a partnership. He owned his own company, so a little bit of you know it was heating and air conditioning and construction. So just used to being in a business environment, um, and then. Walk and play golf every day of my life. So, but I think I, I realized that probably was not going to happen. So when I went to college, I thought, well, I'm going to get a business career because I could see myself maybe opening up some type of uh, business on my own. Or I just thought it was a good basic degree. And then um, sort of fell in a little lap of. Uh, and Judith Maurer has been a great influence for me over the years. Um, you know, straight out of college when I came to work for, for her, I had very little experience in the business world, and she was a great role model as a strong, independent um, woman. As you know, but again, she was a mother and a wife and uh, a good business lady. Good sense. I saw her speak. Um, I- have seen her, but at this particular past year, she spoke again, and I had that very same impression that she um, she was not going to permit her gender in any way, shape, or form to be a barrier. <laughs> no, no, I well, opportunity, but in a good way. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. in a very um, productive way, and I and I mean that very complimentary because. You know, it's, it is a challenge in our profession sometimes when, um, when we're strong, uh, it can come across, uh, you know, not necessarily in the way it would if it came from It's unfortunate. I mean, and it's the truth, right? So um, she has a very special way, and she is very impressive. She did give a really good impression about how she could handle very challenging and 
probably growing up working or, you know, as a family that had a self-employed business, that made it much easier for you under, to understand the challenges of a small business. Right. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And I, I used to, um, as a young person or a teenager or whatever, I used to wonder why uh, people would stay and work in my father's business because they knew they could never go any further versus, you know, if you went out and worked for a big corporation and, and could uh, sort of rise as far as you want. I, I At that point, I didn't really understand why they'd be happy doing that. But now that I'm in the same shoes myself, I certainly can understand, you know, it means a lot if you're happy in your job and the environment's good, you know. Not everybody wants to chase that, um, the ceiling. I, I'm, I'm happy where I am, a good environment, and it's it's still a challenge. And, and you know, the, your dad, having run a business, there was probably conversations around the house, and you might not even have recognized it necessarily, about money. Actually, he didn't have, no. He really didn't talk that much about that end of it. Um that, you know, I'm sure he and my mom did. Well, I don't even think that, that when my dad passed away, my mom all of a sudden had to take on, you know, all the bills in the household. And she was not used to doing that. So that was something that I thought pretty eye opening for me. She had never dealt with money. So and she grew up mom's 88 now. So when she was young, I think they were just getting over, you know, the depression and, and her family didn't have much money. So she was always very frugal. And um, then when they were married, my dad just sort of handled everything. So now when mom was on her own and had to handle things, she was still very frugal and she doesn't need to be, but it's just so hard for her to accept the fact that she can spend money. I think she thinks there's no more money coming in. I, I've got to be very frugal. So I think I've learned watching her that it's better if, and in my own household with my husband and I, we talk about everything. You know, we talk about all the finances and we make decisions together. And I certainly know where we stand. Do you talk, did you talk to your girls much when they were growing up with our finances? I did. I did. Um, you know, they understood that they can't, you know, of course, kids grow up where some of their friends have, a, you know, can sort of have more opportunities or have, uh, more material things and, and my girls understood no we can't have everything you know we're middle income what we do well but we just not unlimited so they understand and I, and they are now very appreciative we did put them through college and you know they didn't have to get student loans and we were able to you know give them cars not brand new cars used cars but now that they're both on their own and they see their friends struggling to pay off college loans or having um, car loans, they really appreciate what we did for them. I mean, they knew that we didn't live very luxurious, but we provided those basic things for them and they were very appreciative. And they're both very conscientious. I mean, my youngest daughter is a teacher here in Florida, so her salary is not very big. She's been teaching for three years and she's made, she's saved quite a bit and I'm really proud of her. And I think she really understood the value of the savings and money and things like that. Yeah, student loans are real, you know, but they are changing that generation because they are really struggling. When you're making, you know, payments of $400, $500 a month, it's a challenge. 
Yeah, that and our payment, that's yeah. a big chunk. So um, you, um, your dual citizenship, is that correct? Yes. And would you say that there's a big difference between the two economic culture at all? Actually, I, I'm sorry. I am still a Canadian citizen, so I do not have American citizenship. Okay. But I... I'm a resident alien. <laughs> oh, yes, a resident alien. Okay. I don't have horns or an antenna or anything like that. But from the name, it sounds like I should have a, an antenna being an alien. It's, it's uh, never been my favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but back to your question. Uh, I think Canadians are a little more conservative. You know, they're not as span-worthy. I mean... They have a very good way of life. I think they have a very good, uh, you know, having the, they don't have to worry about uh, health insurance as much as we do, obviously, but they pay a lot more in taxes. So I think they have a good standard of living, a good basic standard of living, but um, not quite as many advantages as we are used to having here in the States. That's an interesting observation. We Again, myself, living in your late part of the year, um, I'm far enough south that I don't, in the state of New York, that I don't really get exposure to the Canadian culture at all. Um, so I don't, I don't see their money habits. It's interesting. I, I wonder, because um, you're saying they don't need as much, is it more about influence in life than it is about items? I'm sorry, I missed that first part. Is it more about what? Events, the, the things that they do together as a family unit or... Yes, I would say so. I mean, they, you know, the basics, you know, you want a nice home, you want a nice quality of life, um, nice vacations here once in a while, but maybe don't need that Lexus or Mercedes or, you know, and and we don't have as much well nowadays we do because of the internet but when i was growing up we just didn't have as much choice in clothing and products and that um we we used to come to maine in the fall or in the summer to shop for school because of the shopping was so much better and at that point the dollar was worth about the same so and then like nowadays even now back in nova scotia there's not as many stores, but they can shop online now. So it's it has, you've got a beautiful, it's gorgeous up there. So the scenery is absolutely beautiful. At least I don't know what it's like in winter, but you don't need to go in the winter. But my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law have been there and brought back some extraordinary pictures. Oh yeah, it's very pretty. It's very similar to. Um, Maine, coastal Maine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On the bucket list. <laughs> yeah, but go June through September or June through October. The rest of the time, it's a little bit damp and cool. <laughs> October sounds good to me. Yeah, it's beautiful with the leaves and everything. Yeah, and September is gorgeous. So, just kind of in closing, um, I so appreciate that you time out of your busy day to participate in this discussion, but a couple of closing questions. Um, 
I love to ask people, um, I love to ask people if they've received some advice that they thought was extraordinary and if they've received some advice that maybe wasn't the best for them and what that was. Yeah, when I was preparing for this um, podcast and reading your questions, I saw that and I and I struggled because I I think the only advice, the best advice, my dad when he after he retired is you know just if you think you have the number in your head what you need to save for retirement it's not enough double it so as I get closer to retirement I, I have that in my head. Um, we do work with a financial planner, my husband and I, and, and they have us set up, so we are on track. So hopefully I will um, be okay when it's time. But that is kind of stuck in my mind. It's something that my dad said to me, and I always thought, okay, I've got to remember that. Um, as far as bad advice, not really. I, I've been fortunate. I haven't had any really bad financial advice. My husband and I are conservative. So, um, you know, we've worked with a financial planner and, and uh, been trying to be smart with, with what we've done. So I've been lucky. I haven't really had any bad financial advice that's come up to uh, cause me issues. That's wonderful. Rare, but wonderful. <laughs> so my final series of questions that I love to ask is what it is. When we're thinking about a, a vineyard, right? Again, back to the whole vineyard, and we're thinking about their, you know, if they ever even store the ratings on the wine. Um, many of the wineries' definition of success is to get one of those gold medals on front of that wine. But what's your definition definition of success? I'd say happiness and just peace. You know. Being happy at the end of the day to go home and then enjoy the evening with my husband and knowing my kids are doing well, uh, they're independent. They're, I guess, what they say nowadays, they're launched. Um, they're flying, and um, I, I'm just peaceful with my life and the and the way it's going, and, and thankful uh, every day for what my my husband and I have um, put together for our lifestyle. And what would you say feeds your school? What waters your roots? Um, I'm competitive. I'm very competitive. So I I love sports. So I play a lot of tennis, uh, uh, competitive tennis. And I, as I told you, I grew up playing golf. I was very competitive there. And I just, I love to watch sports too on TV. I like to take part in sports and I love to watch sports. Um, and what also feeds my soul is my family, too. So I will know if there's ever an opportunity at any of the conferences to play golf, um, I want to be on your team. <laughs> because I need lots of coaching when it comes to golf. <laughs> I am not competitive in that particular sport because I just, I've never given, given it the attention it should be that good. Yeah, it's a hard sport. It's not something you can just play at once in a while. Yeah, so having somebody coach you through um, some clips would be phenomenal, but also just watching somebody who really knows what they're doing would be interesting as well. <laughs> is there 
if we can have a glass of wine and play, that makes life a lot easier. <laughs> the ball goes in the water or if it goes out of bounds. <laughs> Is there any one piece of advice that you give to listeners? Um, I think... My piece of advice is um, be aware of what a long-term care event could do to your uh, savings or to your plan. Um, Being in this market all the time or being in this field, I know that sounds a little bit corny or hokey, but it's true. I mean, looking at cost of care all the time and I hear stories good, bad, you know, I hear a lot of good things about people that have bought policies and they're happy they have them and they've used them. And then the other stories where they didn't buy a policy or they, even if they don't buy a policy, they didn't plan, they didn't realize what could happen if they're if they're not ready for different circumstances. So yeah, just meet with your financial planner and, and look at the future. I love that advice. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so we heard at the very beginning a huge Chardonnay fan. Um, what do you like to pair in? Um, probably just like wine and cheese. I, I like to snack. I would rather, I'd be happy snacking and having some wine and cheese and some fresh bread uh, and having a nice glass of wine um, instead of a huge big meal. I'm happy just, you know, munching and relaxing. But again, I, I do like a Chardonnay with a, some seafood, um, maybe some um, scallops, some scallops caught in the, in the, up in Nova Scotia, or maybe with a lobster. I'm not a huge lobster fan, but the Chardonnay does taste nice with a lobster once in a while. So I'm pretty easy going. Well, Jill, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule, as I said earlier, and sharing more knowledge about it. We're going to be covering So um, we do appreciate you taking this month off for us and sharing your ideas. And uh, we appreciate what you do for all planners. And thanks again for being on the show. Well, you're welcome, Amy. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed talking with you. And that will about do it for today's episode of Wine and Dime. You can contact Amy through the website, www.rootedpg.com or amy at rootedpg.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at rootedpg for the latest news. And if you have any questions, comments, or topics you would like to hear about, feel free to let us know. Don't forget to rate and subscribe the show wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you for listening and be sure to tune in next time.